Okay, we are in Lesson 13, we're in Chapter 9. Now, I want to remind you, last week, remember, we talked about the issue of meat offered to idols, but the greater principle of liberty, that is freedom, and the restraint of love. And remember what we talked about, the, the, the Corinthians, last week, when we looked at it, the Corinthians, there were some Corinthians who, who boasted in their knowledge that they have knowledge and understanding, and that it was okay for them to eat meat offered to idols. And there were others who couldn't handle it, but those who had the knowledge that they, they could were like, well, you know, big deal for you, buddy. I'm going to do my own thing. And Paul's saying, you know, it's okay, but you know what? There's a principle, and the principle is is that I'm going to restrain myself for the love of someone else. Now, that's totally contrary to our culture, because in our culture, it's everyone for themselves. Everyone... You know, it's my right, I'm going to do my thing, everyone for themselves. And the, but the biblical principle is, in fact, this, if you turn over one page, page 27, there in your book, you'll look there, the principle on, for verse 13 is, because of love we should give up our freedom for the sake of others. Love should be the guiding principle in how you live your life, especially when you're concerned about those around you and how it will affect them. So, for instance, and in that principle, let me just stop for a moment, should affect every area of your life. So, for instance, let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. We said last week, I asked the question, is there anything in the Bible that forbids you from drinking? No. What is forbidden in the Bible? Yeah, drunkenness. Okay. All right. Now, here, let me stop for a moment. But, you, so someone could legitimately say, well, I have freedom to drink. Now, but the problem is, if you apply verse 13 of chapter 8, the principle of that, that because of love for others, I will restrain my liberty, that has application not just for your everyday life, but that has application for parents as well. Because you say, what do you mean for parents? Well, let me explain. Young people, would you consider them mature or immature? Do you think they can handle seeing you drink? Can you? Can they? No, because it's communicating something to them. And, and in their mind, and the studies have shown this, they communicate drinking with adulthood. And especially for a teenager, teenagers are in that in-between time, between at, you know, in that, that, that middle stage of adolescence where they're trying to become an adult. And so they equate what with adulthood? Drinking. So then they become, and they don't understand it, so they become what? Addicted to it, and it creates a problem. See, the principle there, see, the whole thing of drinking, oh yeah, you got freedom, but your greater restraint should be what? Love. Love for other people. And somebody, in a, and I mentioned this last week, remember what I said last week? Some of you might be saying, well man, that is slavery. To have somebody else Dictate to me how I'm supposed to live. Now, if you have that attitude, you are expressing selfishness. You're only concerned about you. You're not concerned about others. See, the biblical thing is, is this, you understand something. The example of Jesus is a concern for others above yourself. A concern for others above yourself. Now, I use drinking as an example. It could be anything. It could be anything. 
Now, you say, now what does this got to do with chapter 9? Well, when we get into chapter 9 now, Paul's going to illustrate the principle. Paul's going to illustrate the principle of giving up for the sake of others. Now, he's also going to address the issue that there were some in Corinth who were questioning his apostleship. But as an apostle, which is what we're going to see here in this passage, he had certain rights. He had certain privileges. But for their sake, for their well-being, illustrating that point from verse 13, he gives them up for their well-being. You understand what I'm saying? So we're, going to, we're continuing that same thought process that love restrains my freedom. You understand? Love restrains freedom. You got freedom, but love restrains it. Now, again, that's a missing concept in our society here today because everybody wants their freedom, but who cares about anybody else? The Bible says you got freedom, but you need to be concerned about who? Everybody else. So let's look at what he's saying here. We're going to look at the example of Paul. Looks, first of all, let's look at verses 1 through 11, and we're going to see the rights of an apostle. Now, as you're going through this, this was, the, this was legitimately the rights of an apostle. Now, let's take a look here. Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If I am not an apostle to others, yet doubtless I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. My defense to those who examine me is this. Do we have no right to eat and drink? Do we have no right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles, the brothers of the Lord, and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? Whoever goes to war at his own expense, who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit, who tends the flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock, do I say these things as mere, a mere man? Or does not the law say the same also? For it is written the law, in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is it oxen God is concerned about? Or does he say it, although for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, it is written that he who plows should plow in hope, and he who threshes in hope should be a partaker of this hope. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? So here he's going to talk about the issue of his rights as an apostle. So let's take a look at a couple of things there. First of all, his position. He's going to immediately talk about who he is, and that is he is an apostle. Paul is an apostle in the truest sense since he witnessed the risen Christ. Paul is an apostle in the truest sense since he witnessed the risen Christ. Now, let me just stop for a moment. Biblically, an apostle is someone who had been commissioned and had witnessed the risen Christ, who had physically seen the risen Christ. Now, you say, why am I, why am I making that point? That's obviously, George. I mean, how many of you already knew that? Why I'm making that point is, is that today in the United States, there's a group right now, I won't mention what group it is, but they, there are people who are, quote, and in fact this even just happened here in the last six months, ordaining apostles. 
as being really high up. Well, I'm going to be, uh, there's a problem with that. What's the problem with ordaining apostles today? They hadn't seen Christ. And they, first of all, they were commissioned by Christ himself, all right? And they had seen Christ and had been taught by Christ. Now you say, what do you mean taught by Christ? I don't know that the Apostle Paul was taught by Christ. Well, from the Acts passage, his, on the road to Damascus, he saw Jesus and Jesus spoke to him. But there are other passages throughout the Scripture where he infers of being taught by Jesus himself. That Christ came to him and taught him. So he's an apostle in the truest sense. So when you've got somebody today who's saying they are an apostle, or they're a super apostle, is that biblically correct? No. No, because, first of all, I don't believe that they have physically seen Jesus. Second of all, I don't believe that they have been personally taught and commissioned by him. So that, that's the whole point. Although you will see that there are some groups that, that hold that viewpoint. Now, here's the next point. Paul points out that they are an evidence of his apostleship. So he, he goes on and he says, look, I'm an apostle in the truest sense because I have physically seen Jesus. But he also says, I'm an apostle in the truest sense because of you, because you guys exist. I planted your church. You are the fruit of my labor. In fact, he even says this. He even says, even if I wasn't an apostle to anyone else, I would still be an apostle to you because I started your church. See, he's trying to make a point here. He is an apostle. Now, he's laying this foundation. Now, he's doing a couple of things here. He's laying a foundation for the rights that he's about to share, but he's also wanting to address the issue, because remember, we, when we looked at 2 Corinthians, there was a group of people there who did not believe in his authority as an apostle. So, let's go on now. Here his his response to his critics. Paul was criticized for not exercising the rights of an apostle. Look with me at verse 3. Notice what it says. My defense to those who examine me is this. He's being criticized. Remember, this was going on. We saw this especially in, in, uh, in, in when we looked at 2 Corinthians. Here's, here he is. He has chosen not to take his rights. And so he's got probably some folks. They're probably Judaizers. That is, they're, follow, they're Jewish Christians who are following the law. And, and they're upset with Paul, or they're causing a rift in the church because he's not assuming his rights. He's not demanding to be taken care of. He's not demanding to be paid. Maybe they were, because they came. And they're saying, well, he's not an apostle then because he's not asking us to do these things for him. Have you ever heard a crazy argument like that before? You know, today, you'd be like, wow, that's a great guy. I wish we had a guy like that. But that's his attitude. And he's answering his critics because they were criticizing him for not exercising the rights of an apostle. Now, here are the rights of an apostle, just so you understand. An apostle has the right to food and drink. Paul tells them, you know what? He could have asked, look at verse 4, do we have no right to eat and drink? Do we have no authority to eat and drink? What he's saying here is that they, the church, had a responsibility to make sure that he was fed and had drink. That was their responsibility. They were to make sure that he was taken care of as far as his nourishment 
as far as his food. Then he goes on here and he says this, an apostle has the right to bring his wife and have her needs met as well. An apostle has a right, not only did he have the right for him to be taken care of, that is, for his physical needs to be taken care of as far as food and drink, he also had the right to have his wife accompany him on his ministry and to have his wife taken care of for her needs to be met. So that was another right. In fact, he said that some of the other apostles, look at what he says there, verse 5, he says that some of the others were already doing this, the brothers of the Lord, and who? Cephas. Who's Cephas? Peter. So Peter, was, Peter brought his wife with him. Peter brought his wife with him. And he was exercising these rights to have his wife taken care of when they went somewhere. And Paul says, look, a right of an apostle, I could bring my wife with me if I wanted to. Now he goes on, and then he talks about the issue of work. Look at verse 6. An apostle had the right not to work and have his needs met by the church. Paul says, it is my right as an apostle to not have to work. I don't have to do the tent-making thing. I could come into your community and my right as an apostle is to have you take care of my needs. I don't have to do this. You guys have to take care of me. You guys have to meet my physical needs. You have to take care of me. So there is his rights of the rights of the apostle. Those are things that Paul could be asking them to do. In fact, let me just stop for a moment. We already know this about this church. Was this a wealthy church or a poor church? Anybody? It was a wealthy church. That's right, Bruce. So could they take care of him? I mean, they could take care of him if they wanted to. They could take care of him. They, in fact, you know, when you hear different households mentioned, it was probably somebody that could have given him a place to stay. Somebody, they could have taken care of his physical needs. No problem. So, of all the people, he could have had his needs taken care of here. Now, he gives some examples from the world and from the law to prove the point of how you are to take care of those who are over you. So, notice something. Look at verse 7. Look at what he says. Whoever goes to war at his own expense. Anybody, do countries go to war at their own expense, guys? Not really. Not really. Who, who, who does the government get its money from? Yeah, taxpayers. And really, up until about 50 years ago, up until about the Marshall Plan, the Marshall Plan set in motion some things. Before that, a conquering army would demand repayment for its expenses for the war from who? The people they defeated. So, for instance, in fact, they changed their whole concept of this after World War II, because what, what led to World War II is, is because all the nations that had defeated Germany during World War I demanded repayment for the war, billions of dollars. Now, what that did was is that plunged Germany into severe economic times. In fact, they had hyperinflation there. What that then led to was the rise of someone who was the one who took over in Germany, Hitler. So when Marshall comes along, George Marshall comes along with a Marshall Plan, he then goes into the nations that they have defeated and what? Rebuilt them. 
See, the whole concept of rebuilding nations that we defeat started all the way back in the 40s. Because here's the thing, if I go to them and I defeat them, they're still going to be my enemy if I demand from them. See, see, Paul's saying, because in, in his day, who's the one who pays for the expense of war? He goes on, he says, who plants a vineyard and doesn't eat of its fruit? How many of you plant gardens here? Raise your hand, okay? How many of you don't eat anything from that garden? Well, why plant? I'm not going to enjoy the fruit of it. Why plant? Who tends the flock and does not drink the milk of the flock? So he's giving these illustrations from the world. And now here's his point. Here's the point he's making. Paul points to examples from the world to show the principle. The principle of the rights of an apostle. If you're going to do work, you need to benefit from that work. Is what he's saying here. He goes on then and he talks now, not just from the world's perspective, but from the law's perspective, from Moses. And there he talked about the issue of muzzling an ox. Don't muzzle an ox. So here's the point. He points to the law to show the rights that he has as an apostle. So he's laying a foundation here saying, guys, I have a right to this stuff. I have freedom. I have a right. Now, if he was living in today's culture... What would our culture today tell the Apostle Paul? Because he's got this right. You're nuts for not taking it. You need to take it. If you don't take it, I'll take it. Our culture today is all for what? Individual rights. Individualism. And there's nothing wrong with rugged individualism, but there is a downside to rugged individualism. Okay, there's a downside to it. And here's what he's saying. Here is what he's saying to them. Guys, I have these rights. In fact, verse 11, he tells us their share. Paul points out that they have the right to share in the blessing of the church. Look at verse 11. And if we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing that we have, if we reap your material things? He's saying, guys... We have, we have sown spiritual blessings among you. Should we not reap materially? Should you not take care of us? So then when you get to verses 12 through 18 now, he's going to change it because it's like, okay, he's getting ready to tell us now he wants his stuff. But that's not what he's saying here. He's going to illustrate that principle back from verse 13 of chapter 8. For the sake of others, he gives up his rights. And that's what the apostle is doing here. So look with me, look at verses 12 through 18, and this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time. Look with me, look at what he says here. If others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not used this right, but endure all things, lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple and those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar? Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. But I have used none of these things, nor have I written these things, that, you, that it should be done so to me, for it would be better for me to die than anyone should make my boasting void. For if I preach the gospel, 
I have nothing to boast of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have been entrusted with a stewardship. What is my reward then? That when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge, and that I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. So now he's going to talk about the fact that he doesn't use his rights and why he doesn't use his rights. And the reason why he doesn't use his rights is just right before we even look. Let me just go ahead and say it. For the sake of others. See, here's the bottom line. Let me just stress this to you again. If you're listening to me today, and if your thought process is, well, I don't want them dictating my life, you've got a problem with your thought process. Because what you're saying is, is that you're more important than someone else. That is not biblical. The Bible talks about that when you come to Christ, you belong to Christ. We're to follow the example of Christ. What would happen if Jesus had that attitude that we see often expressed today among people? Would we have salvation? Would he have gone to the cross? No. We're to follow the example of Jesus, that is to put the needs of others before our own, and thus be blessed. So here's what happens. The enemy will come to you, and he'll say to you, I'll pick on Bruce here. Bruce, you can't give up that right, man. You can't give up that right. If you give up that right, you're just going to be stymied. You're just not going to have enjoyment. They're just going to rob you of joy. They're going to rob you of blessing. You can't give it up, Bruce. The enemy will come to you and say that to you. What Bruce doesn't know is, is that there are richer blessings from the Lord because you do give it up. Because, see, the enemy won't tell you that. The enemy won't tell you that. He won't tell you the damage that you do to the other individual because you do assume you're right. Let's go back to the drinking one. He won't tell you the damage that you'll do to another or to a young person or whatever. He won't tell you that. But the fact of the matter is, as God says, when God tells you to give up your rights for the sake of others, he's got a greater perspective in mind. He's got a greater perspective of well-being for others. And you'll be blessed because of your sensitivity towards other people. Because you help them, what? Come along slowly. And does maturity happen fast? Come along slowly to maturity. For their sake. And here's the thing. You assume you're right now, what reward will you have later on? Probably won't have any reward. Probably have a reprimand. Because when you stand before the Lord, you've got to give an account, right? But if you give up now, you give up now, what will you have later? In fact, even Jesus said this. Jesus said this. If you seek your life, you'll what? Lose it. But if you lose your life for the kingdom, you'll what? Yeah, you'll gain it. Isn't that interesting? We don't, we, don't, we don't operate on that principle because we operate on what? Self. What self wants. So here's the apostle. He had a right to all of this. So I want you to notice what he says. So first of all, 
Here's what he said. Here's his practice. While they had the right, they did not use it. While they had the right, they did not use it. Didn't use it. He didn't even bat an eye about it. Why? Here's why. Paul did not want to hinder the work of the gospel. Hey, um, what's the number one complaint against pastors? Anybody? What's the world think about pastors? What are they out for? Money. And you know what? You can sure get that impression watching TV. When you watch some guy on there on a big green throne, big gold bands on his head, and even got a crown, you know, some, there's a preacher on TV like that, you know. And you see that kind of thing, and then you hear he's driving around in a Rolls Royce or a Bentley or something like that, and you get, and he's got a Rolex and, you know, and, and, and all this stuff. What's the impression people have? What's the impression you have when you watch that thing? What's he in for? Himself. Now let me ask you a question. What's that hinder? Yeah, Lou said it. The gospel. How many, how many pe- people are going to have a... What are their thoughts about Christianity from that kind of appearance? When somebody is living that kind of way. Not just phony, but what's their thoughts about... Well, phony about... Are you saying that about Christianity? Okay, you're saying that about the pastor. Okay, well, what is their thoughts... If you're an unbeliever and you're watching that, what are your thoughts about Christianity? I can't afford it, Mike says. What did you say? Okay, we're giving money. We're a bunch of saps, okay, is what Bruce said. You know, it's a money thing. Okay, and a lot of people have that concept. So when you have unsafe friends and say, all they want is my what, is that legitimate for them to say that? Well, if they're watching TV, if they're, you know, if they're watching a game and there's a commercial break on and they just kind of flip through the channels, channel surfing, and they accidentally come across a guy, and some people do this, and they just kind of sit there and watch the guy for a moment, and, you know, he's talking about give give a hundredfold and God will give you, you know, give ten and God will give you a hundredfold or whatever, that kind of stuff. You've got this impression. I mean, and he's, I mean, he, you know, he's showing you his jet and he's showing you his, his helicopter and he's showing you his estate and you're trying to figure out how you're even going to make it to get the groceries. You know, I mean, yes, because it's the Christian lottery. That's another discussion. That's, it's a lottery thing. Okay, when you listen to their message, Bruce, you give me $10, God will give you 100 It's like a lottery thing. You understand? It appeals to the lottery mentality. Now, here's what I'm saying. So, he doesn't want to hinder the work of the gospel. See, the greater thing for Paul's mind is not his rights. What he should have the greater thing in Paul's mind is that people come to know Jesus Christ. And so if that means I've got to give up my rights, I'll give up my rights. You see the principle illustrated? For the love, for sake of love for others, I give up my freedom. That is so anti our culture, is it not? I mean, we're the land of the free, and, and, and we're finding new rights all the time. Aren't you amazed when you look at the news and all the new rights that are coming up that are in the Constitution? Last time I read it, I never saw any of them. But we got judges who find them. Why? Because we're in that individualistic, individual-minded, 
everything, anybody can do anything. And don't hinder my rights. And, that, and that's the problem. So, here's what he's saying. He's saying he gave it up. Now, here's the right. Now, he again, he stresses the right that he has. He's going to say, I don't do this for the sake of the gospel, but to make the point to you, help you to understand the right that I have, he shows, first of all, the example from the temple. Those who serve in the temple are supported by the temple. Those who serve in the temple are supported by the temple. Don't you, some of you, you know, if you've studied the Old Testament, you've studied the law, remember the, the Levites and the priests were not allowed to own what? Property. They didn't have their own. Their, their inheritance wasn't a piece of land. They were spread among they were spread among all of the nation Israel, and they were to be taken care of by who? The nation Israel, because they ministered to the Lord. Now he goes on and he says this, The Lord commanded that those who minister for the gospel be supported by it. Even Jesus, God has commanded that. Here's the right. But now Paul in the rest, verses 15 through 18, he's going to give his reasons for not exercising that right. Because once again, he's saying, I don't exercise this right, but here I have this right. And again, he stresses, first of all, from the temple, as well as from what God said. So then here's his reason. Paul did not exercise this right, first of all. This was his practice. He did not exercise this right. He didn't come looking for money. And I'm going to be honest with you. Today, in North American Christianity, in fact, I think it's getting ready to change. During boom times, you saw a lot of people ministering, and they were basically, that was their what? Life. Their job. The economy is bad. But here's what's happening. I just got a report. Barner, Barner Research just re- released a report. With the economic downturn, there are going to be billions and billions and billions, several billion dollars less given to ministries. Now, here's what's going to happen. There are going to be some ministries disappearing. And I'll be honest with you, some of them need to. Because the purpose and their reason for existence wasn't the gospel. It was for who? For whoever was the head of that ministry. Do you understand? I mean, during boom times, people were giving money everywhere. So, Paul, though, says, look, I'm not going to exercise that right. See the different mentality he had? He wasn't doing what he was doing to get by and to do well off. He was doing what he was doing because of the calling of God on his life. Now, let's go on there. Here's what he says. He's not writing them to exercise. He says, look, me even bringing this up, I'm not even bringing this up so that you begin to take care of me. I'm trying to illustrate a point here is what he's saying. The principle of putting others before yourself. See, I'm not even writing this so that you can take care of me is what he's saying here. So then here's his boast. Paul wants to disarm his critics with the fact that he preached for free. Do you see what he's doing here? See, in their culture, in that culture 2,000 years ago, especially in the Greek culture, because Corinth is in in the Greek culture, 
a person would, if he had something to teach, would gather around him disciples, and then those disciples would then take care of that teacher. They would freely give. And if, you know, in fact, you see a lot of that happening today. You know, some guru or whatever says, you know, hey, I want your car. And you would say, oh, yes, I'll give you my car. Still happens today. It's happening here in the United States. People will give up of their stuff for others. For, quote, a man of God. It happens. Paul says he wants to disarm right off the bat. He wants to make sure that there's no one even making that accusation. He's not even going to ask for it from the very beginning. So no one can say, well, he's only preaching the gospel to fatten his pocket. To inflate his bank account. He's not doing it for that reason. He's doing it for the gospel. He wants to disarm his critics right off the bat. That the whole reason why they're there is to minister for the gospel, not for their well-being. Think about that. So he's telling them right off the bat, I'm, I'm doing this to disarm my critics. I don't want to give them any kind of fodder. I don't want to give them any kind of excuse to say, I'm not going to listen to that Paul guy because he's just in it for himself. See, Paul's saying, I don't want my critics to have anything to levy against me. So I'm not going to assume my rights here. Let's go on now. He says this, He could not boast in preaching since he was simply doing as he commanded. The other thing he says here, look with me, verse 15, he says this, but I have not used none of these things, nor have I written these things, that it should be done to be done so for me. For it would be better for me to die than anyone should make my boasting void. For I preach the gospel and have nothing to boast of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Here's what he's saying, guys. He's saying, guys, I don't even preach. I don't even boast in the fact that I'm a preacher. I don't even boast in that fact. I don't boast at all. I'm just simply doing what I'm commanded to do. I'm obligated to do what I'm doing. He had a sense of obligation. That, let me just stop for a minute. Let me give you a side note here. That's what's missing in North American Christianity. You say, what do you mean? Too many of us come and sit in a pew and want someone to give you something. And if I don't get something, I'm out of here. You understand what I'm saying? Too many of us view Christianity and church as somewhere I go to get something. Paul says, I'm not in this even for boasting of what I'm supposed to do. I'm in this because I'm obligated to the one who saved me. See, that's what's missing in Christianity today in North America. What's missing in Christianity is a sense of obligation to God. He saved me from eternal fire and hell. Stop for a moment. Picture this in your mind. Let's say you have an accident or you're in a house fire or even maybe you have some kind of disease. Well, we had that happen in our church here. Somebody dying needing a transplant. And somebody else saves you. Maybe they pull you out of the wreck before the train hits it. 
Maybe they pull you out of a burning fire. Maybe they give part of your body so that you could live. How are you going to be towards that person who saved you? Anybody? Not just grateful. You're going to be grateful till when? Till you do die. If they ever needed anything from you, would you do something for them? Yeah, you, you feel an obligation because they literally saved your life. Now, let me explain something to you. This is what's missing. Jesus Christ saved you from hell. Eternity in hell. Oh well. Gotta do my thing. No obligation. No obligation to the Lord. No thought that He died on the cross for me. None. <sighs> Save. Isn't it interesting? I challenge you. I challenge you to read through the New Testament in the next year. And as you read through the next New Testament in the next year, I challenge you to mark down in your mind every time you hear a writer say that they are a bondservant, that they are a slave, that they are indebted, that they are compelled to serve the risen Christ because of what he has done for them. That is missing today in our churches. Our churches are more concerned about what can I get more so than what can I serve Jesus for because he died for me. Can I be honest with you? There are only two places in the world where God is not working right now. Europe, Western Europe, and North America. Everywhere else in the world, God is doing mighty movements of God. Isn't it interesting that God is not moving here? Why? Why? What would you say, Rob? Because we only think of ourselves. That's it. We don't have any obligation to the gospel. Paul says, I don't want this right because I don't even boast in it because I don't, I'm obligated to Jesus. A couple more points. Here's the thing. Here's the reward. Because here's his focus. He's focused on later, not now. We're focused on now, but I'm going to be honest with you. You better be ready. It's going to get worse. I, I told you guys this six months ago. Some of you thought I was nuts six months ago when I said to you, even before the whole thing, I said, guys, get ready. It's coming. There's a lot of people in the Christian movement that are realizing that it is our materialism that is keeping us from God. And God is a jealous God. He wants us to worship Him. And He's going to remove the materialism. And I'm going to be honest with you, you better be ready. The economy is not going to get better. Because He wants our attention. Because He doesn't want us to be focused on now. He wants us to be focused on later, on Him. And that was Paul's focus here. The reward, there is a reward in preaching, he said. But the reward isn't now. It's not being taken care of. It's not being paid. There is a reward in preaching. Here's what he says. He would be rewarded for preaching the gospel freely. He's going to get his reward later from Jesus. He's got an eternal perspective. My friends, do you got an eternal perspective? Do you have an eternal perspective? You need to. Things are changing. Do you have an eternal perspective? That was what his attitude was. Let's pray.